This is episode 50 of the Fire Protection Podcast, powered by Inspect Point. Today, my guest is Bob Caputo of the American Fire Sprinkler Association, the AFSA. Uh, it's crazy. This is episode 50 already. Um, I know I haven't put out a, a few this year, but um, yeah, a lot, lot more on the docket um, with the Fire Protection Podcast, and, and great to kick off episode 50 with with Bob. Um, we have an upcoming AFSA convention in early September, which is really cool to promote. And uh, we'll be there, uh, the Inspect Point, and the Fire Protection Podcast. And so, uh, and obviously all the vendors, it's one of the, it's the, like Bob says in the episode, it's the biggest fire sprinkler show um, in the entire world, which is, is really cool to kind of be involved with. Um, Bob's a mainstay in the fire protection industry is really cool to get his take on a, a bunch of different topics um and kind of the trend of the industry uh toward that recurring revenue inspection and service kind of business um and then obviously getting into bob's background and where he came from where he cut his teeth and uh it was really good to chat with him so hopefully hopefully you like the episode uh like and subscribe and yeah we'll see you at afsa here in uh, early september and on to the podcast Thanks. You're right. All right. Thanks, Bob, for uh, for joining the Fire Protection Podcast today. Uh, what is the temperature down there today? Well, I'm in Dallas, and it's only about 103. <laughs> Been a very hot summer. Yeah, I, I, I forgot. Uh, I was talking to somebody in Austin, and they've had like the record days above 100 degrees or something. My home is now in the Phoenix area, so it's only it's only cooler here than it is home. <laughs> my wife, my wife keeps asking why we moved from Carlsbad, seaside, uh, seventy some odd degrees, seventy three degrees today. So, oh man, what were you doing? What were uh, what were you doing out in Carlsbad? Who were you working for? I owned the, my own company there, Consolidated Fire Protection. My oh wow. My brother John still owns a small sprinkler company in the in the San Diego County area of Vista, California. Oh, nice, nice. Two of my four kids are still there. Wow, wow. So I guess let's go back to your background. Let's start beginning. Where, how did you? Weirdly enough, I always want to know how people got into fire protection, right? Well, interestingly, you know, I've been in fire protection since dinosaurs were on the planet. I was part of the system that cooled the Earth's core. Uh, let's see. I uh, was in the Navy, and uh, uh, when I was in the military, you know, on shipboard, fire sprinkler systems were part of the thing that I had learned. And I'd had a back injury, and I went to work in a, a ship, a, a, a shore-based uh, operation that was doing modifications to shipboard fire sprinkler systems. Uh, and so my intent when I got out of the Navy was to go to law school and I took all the LSATs and, you know, was prepared to do that. Uh, got married right after I got out of the Navy, uh, instant family and um, had opportunities in the fire sprinkler business. And it just kind of kind of stuck. I mean, it's a great business. It's a fun business. You you get to see every kind of thing out in your community. You know, it's fire and life safety. You get to save lives and property there's a lot of pride in that so it just kind of stuck and 45 ish years later i'm still um, trying to decide if this is what i want to do for the rest of my life <laughs> right yeah i'm uh i'm 20 years this year myself 
which is kind of crazy that I've been doing this this long. But um, I, a lot of people come out of the Navy that go into fire, like John Mackey, who I know, he came out of the Navy. Jack Kofelt out of the Navy, bunch of bunch of others. It's it's interesting. Uh, it's a uh, you know maybe they get a, a taste of it in their in their stint in the Navy and then kind of keep going with it. So I think what happens, you know, the beautiful thing about military service or college, whichever, you know, when when you when you're in that age group, you're still trying to figure out what and who you're going to be for the rest of your life. And, you know, when you're in the military, you learn opportunities. You also learn responsibility and um, a whole lot of things about pride and esprit de corps and things that you may or may not have actually been ready for when you got into the service. Um, but what you learn in the service can become your career. Right. You know, unless your job is blowing stuff up, there's not a lot of jobs doing that in the <laughs> world. But from the uh, reality point of view, uh, you know, a lot of people grow up in that time frame serving. So right. I appreciate everybody who serves. I don't know if you know this, but only 1% of Americans serve in the military. So we're pretty, pretty rare group. Yeah, I did not know that. Wow. And, and it's probably, it might have dropped, right, over the last... I don't know. Maybe it maybe it hasn't, but um, no, it's possible. Yeah, it's a good place to grow up. You know, solid, structured background for yep. guys like me who didn't necessarily know what they wanted to be if they grew up. Right. Yeah, I know. In uh, um, you know, I, I work with API API Group, big company, right? They I know they hire a lot of their management out of like uh, West Point and other places like that too, because of the structure and leadership, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting to kind of see that. And um, I know they're proud of that too. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a great point. Really, really solid companies look for solid leadership and leadership is not something you're necessarily born with. It's something that you, that you learn along the way. And uh, I, I do think that API is stronger for their uh I mean, not everybody in their group comes out of the military, but I think a lot of them do. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of leaders, like uh, back, you know, 45, 40, even throughout, like any mentors out there that oh, kind man, of yeah, that carved, carved your career, I guess? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Jim Lewis, who's gone now, he was killed in a motorcycle crash, but his son, James, uh, still runs the company in Kansas City, American Fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jim absolutely was more than just a mentor. He was a life coach for me, uh, somebody who I think about on a very, very regular basis. Uh, Jim Jim was awesome, a true Christian who uh, walked the walk, talked the talk, believed in people, you know, people first and just a great business guy. Uh, Carol Garvin uh, out on the West Coast, Carol yep. Garvin. Uh, worked with and for uh, for many years. Uh, I probably learned more about business issues. Carol's a really solid business guy. He's uh, still around, and um, uh, I got to say, Russ Levitt. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, Russ and I have been competitors. We've been teaching partners. We've been business partners. We're more like brothers than friends. And uh, Russ is somebody I really, really respect, looked up, look up to and uh, never fail to learn something from. Uh, yeah. Jack Medovich is, uh, again, a, another brother by choice that, that yeah. I'm inspired by and hope to be more like uh, pretty much any any given day of my life. So I, I would say those 
I mean, I've had people have influence on my life other than those guys. But if I, if I had to pick those uh, people that have had the most influence in my life, I mean, I wouldn't even be in this job if it wasn't for Jack or for Ross. Ross suggested that I pursue this opportunity and, and Jack's the one who uh, really made it happen more or less. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, we, we in spec point, um, the software company that, that, that's kind of partnered here is um, that was that was the first association we joined is AFSA and um, I knew it from being in my Tyco and Viking days that very powerful association um, and as well as others too you know you got and get got and got to get involved in the trade associations but AFSA was the the first one for us and it, it's interesting to see since since our we're not even little almost ten years old at this point um just the transition you know kind of when when you kind of took the realm and and kind of brought back that fire and obviously you had the board and all the members and and all that but i think the leader being definitely uh, one of the key people in fire protection in the u.s uh it matters right so um appreciate i was it. i yeah. appreciate you saying that drew but i have to tell you uh, this is a team sport yeah. You know, when I got here, I encouraged the staff to understand that their primary job was to try to make me look good. And they've done a really fantastic job of that. You know, I, I take the credit for the work that, uh, you know, we, we have a very dynamic team, both on the administrative side and incredibly so on the tech support side. You know, we have the, yes. I think we have probably the strongest tech support team anywhere in the industry and awfully proud of them and proud to take credit for a lot of what they do. Uh, that's that's great. What was the transition like going from um, kind of for-profit contracting and national accounts and all that engineering to kind of the the association side? Well, clearly there's a big difference yeah. between managing a nonprofit and the rules and regulations that govern that uh, particular thing. And believe it or not, there is an association of associations, the uh, American Society of, I don't even know, I have their books, but ASAEs, ASAE is the group. And uh, so the folks on our administrative side just got back actually from their convention. Uh, lots of great ideas, uh, lots of uh, encouraging things that have to do with managing nonprofits and associations. You know, me, uh, I'm a fire protection guy. And so, having to learn the other half of that. But you mentioned earlier about leadership and leadership doesn't change no matter what. So as far as bringing more ideas and more focus and leadership to an organization that might've struggled a little bit prior to my getting here, having been through a couple of different leadership um, opportunities that didn't work out, um, you know, I came in kind of being patient and not thinking we had to change anything overnight. Uh, we have a great team of people. A lot of people have been here a very long time. I don't know if you know this, but I've been teaching seminars for AFSA for over 20 years. So oh, it's, wow. it's not like I was a stranger to the organization. Uh, I represented AFSA on a number of NFPA committees. And uh, in addition to teaching seminars for AFSA, I'm still teaching seminars for NFPA, which is kind of the grandfather of Right. all things fire and life safety so right. uh you know being plugged in helped uh but for the most part you know john denhart was here before i got here 
I think he had the ship moving in the right direction on the technical support side. The one thing I really focused on and continue to focus on is, is the organization's mission. And we are a training organization whose focus is on helping grow uh, open shop contractors. Um, and, and frankly, the birth of AFSA was the result of not having an apprenticeship program for uh, open shop sprinkler contractors. Right. That wasn't available 43 years ago, and it wasn't going to come out of NFSA, where most of us were members. Yep. Um, so today we have uh, as good an apprenticeship program as anybody. And frankly, we have a lot of overseas organizations, um, UK and European, as well as Central and South American organizations coming to us and saying, hey, you know, can we can we access your training programs? Right. Um, and, so, and so that's really cool. So, you know, we really do focus on our mission, which is the training, not just for installers, but, you know, we've got design school beginning and intermediate design school for designers. I don't think you can go anywhere in this country and not have a sprinkler contractor say, I need more designers. So, right. You know, one of the things we've recently developed is a, a scholarshiping program to try to help feed a few more, maybe it's 15 or 20 more designers into the pipeline every year that we possibly can. Wow. Wow. The most, yeah. probably the most dynamic thing we've introduced this, this year is called a VIP program, which is virtual instruction. And it really is the classroom portion of, uh, uh, of the uh, apprenticeship program. When you okay. think about it, apprentices need to find, they have to have the classroom training piece. Yeah. Um, some of them are on jobs long into the day or are pretty far away drive time from a classroom where they can be with an instructor. Uh, this allows them to participate with a solid instructor live two hours, uh, twice a month uh, from any laptop, you know, iPad, iPhone. Yep. Uh, we record the sessions. It's a relatively inexpensive way for the contractor to get their apprentices uh, the classroom training. And we went to DOL and got approval as a, uh, not as a program, you know, the contractors have to have their own DOL approved program. Sure. Ours is, is a training program that that's uh, allowed to be used in conjunction with their, you know, admitted program. So, uh, you know, those are the kind of things we've introduced since I've come aboard in supporting the mission of the organization and training. So those are yeah. pretty exciting things. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like with, you know, with the advent of, uh, you know, when COVID happened, everybody's gone virtual if, if you hadn't already gone virtual. And, right. um, you know, I always wondered, I'm like, how, how do, how do, you know, apprenticeships pro programs happen. Obviously, if you're in uh, locals, you, you have those locals around the country, but like the open shop side, I'm like, oh man, how do we get everybody together? You got to, there's a cost to get them to a certain location. And yeah, you could regionalize it, but I think it's, it's a perfect option for, and if you got that approved through the Department of Labor, that's, that's amazing because now everybody has access to it, right? Yeah. And you don't have the, the cost of, of travel and, and lost time or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I, I don't want to confuse people. What we have approved is the training piece, um, the classroom piece. 
they still have to go through and have their apprentices in a program if they're participating in you know prevailing wage work because the DOL didn't want AFSA to have employees. Um, it, it, but if you look at what CAFSA has done out in California, you know they've done yep. a phenomenal job not because California now has its yep. certification program. So the CAFSA folks and members there have done a phenomenal job of putting together training programs. And I think they have like five labs throughout the state. But again, it's a very, very big state. And even their apprentices struggle to get from a job site to a training site. Now, this is the classroom piece. You know, the contractor still has to provide the OJT and the tactile learning yep. experience and exposing people to physically doing things. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully we... Uh, hopefully we are providing enough good materials for the contractors to make it easier, especially in those quote unquote flyover states. You, you know, you're not going to get somebody in Colorado, New Mexico, Utah. The, you know, these are big landmass areas and there's jobs all over the place. Oh, yeah. You're not going to get a guy after eight hours for the work to drive four hours to go to a classroom. Yeah. Uh, no. No. So if COVID's taught us anything, it's taught us that we can do distance learning successfully. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot, a lot of good remote stuff. Obviously, it's the hands-on. You mentioned the the valve labs, and and obviously what Cass is doing. Are you, I, I, I know I've I've been involved in some of your ITM classes, and actually did a, a couple guest appearances up in uh, at, at General Air in uh, Philadelphia. But um, are are you guys doing anything yourself? Well, we just moved into our new location in Richardson, Texas, and part of our location and build out includes a wet lab uh, and a flow lab and a, and a valve lab. So our uh, lab is going to be incredible. We're in the process of building it out. We had took a bit of time to find a landlord who would let us put a swimming pool in their building. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you look at JCI's lab or Vikings lab or, you know, the manufacturers have labs where they build stuff out to showcase their materials. This is an independent lab where you see pretty much everything, but you know, those ITM uh, trainees are going to be able to come in 22 different risers. Wow. A static hydrant, a flowing hydrant. They'll physically literally be able to flow water. They'll be able to stand behind a glass wall and watch sprinklers of every type spray water we'll be able to show them the impact of obstructions like beam rules and ceiling fans and all those kinds and types of things. Oh, that's cool. uh, we'll have a standpipe testing. We have a 500 DPM pump showing up, a donation. Uh, nice. Uh, and they'll learn how to do the annual fire pump test or initiating uh, you know, system acceptance fire pump testing with full-on flows. Hose monsters donating uh, test kits for them to learn how to use that particular equipment. They'll learn how to use pedo tubes. I mean, just literally, there is not anything that flows water needs to be inspected, needs to be tested. Apprentices, trainees, technicians can come to our lab and break it here so they don't break it in the field. And uh, it's just going to be an incredible experience. So uh, we have a training classroom for a design school. We have a training classroom for ITM, and then we have all the flow lab stuff, the valve lab stuff, and the pump room uh, lab. So uh, people are going to be able to come here, I'm going to say no more than four to six months from now. Oh, nice. Just, I'm pretty sure once they spend a week here, they won't want to go home. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I. Uh, by the way, if you need a, uh, we, we've done this before, but if you want anything free from us, free subscription, what we've done with other Valve Labs is like, hey, here's a here's a copy of of an ITM platform, right? It's 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 pretty cool stuff, but. You know, I, I cut my teeth at Tyco back in the day and I was at an, an NFPA 25 training up in Rhode Island and kind of had an idea, right, of like, why are we doing this on on paper and pen? Why are we doing this, right? Isn't there a better way to document efficiencies and all that? So it's kind of funny, uh, the, the lab spurred all that on just because being hands-on is like, there's there's nothing else like it, right? Yeah. And obviously being in the field, there's nothing else like that either. So. Well, and that's absolutely true. And we want to take advantage of technology. You know, one of the challenges with written reports, first of all, is reading some people's writing. Another <laughs> is, you know, sometimes those reports are laying on the floor of the truck, they put coffee spilled on them or burger wrappers. And yeah. in my career, I've asked an inspector, hey, what does this say? And they'll look at it and they'll look at it. And I don't know. You wrote it. How am I supposed to know what it says? Electronic reporting is clearly the best way to do record keeping, best way to transmit to an owner, best way to help the owner understand what deficiencies are, why they're important, why they need to get repaired and, you know, help them understand. And that's one of the beautiful things about the NFPA 25 committee, you know, when they put out the uh, annex section 3.3.7, now 3.3.8, depending upon your edition, but, you know, that whole table of deficiencies of what should be considered critical versus non-critical versus rising to the level of uh, of impairments you know that's just a great tool for an inspector to yes. open the book and show the uh, the owner or the owner's representative hey this is what the problem is this is the finding here's what the book says and here's why it's important you know just a, sure. another tool in communicating yeah. the importance yeah. a lot of owners you know they don't understand when their elevators don't work their hvac doesn't work they get it right but when a fire sprinkler system doesn't work they don't know no right yeah and referencing it back to the code and, and you don't even need a book anymore nfpa link's done a, a pretty good uh, job with stuff and we've got some pretty cool stuff that we're working on with nfpa to to kind of push the digital uh side forward um, nfpa link is awesome yeah. i hear so many people tell me oh you know i miss having the pdf Link is way better than how way better. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you get the handbook commentary. Uh, you can download it to your computer for use offline of the books you use the most of. You can query all the standards or a few of the standards by keywords yeah. or phrases. Uh, I mean, it's anybody who hasn't tried the link needs to go to the NFPA website and do the, I guess they give you a 14 day or maybe I don't yeah. know if it's a week or two trial use. But they have such a great staff of folks at NFPA who can coach you through how to use it better than you think you, you, you know, it, there's, it's so robust. It's so powerful that, I mean, I'm still a book guy because I'm really old, but man, are you kidding me? I use Link every day. Yeah, Link's great. And they're they're coming out with some new stuff um, that's even beyond that, which is, which is even uh, kind of more forward thinking, right? Well, you think about technology. I mean, just think about computers. You know, I carry this iPhone, but it's not really a phone. It's a computer that works as a right. phone. But you think about storage. You know, you can go out and buy a one terabyte flash drive. When I was a kid, if you had a terabyte, it meant you'd been bitten by a pterodactyl. <laughs> you don't even need a flash drive anymore. You have a, a Dropbox or a Google Drive that's, 
you know, three terabytes and it's unlimited in some server, you know, that Amazon owns. <laughs> you know, what's cool about our industry though, is no matter how advanced technology gets and no matter what tools we can find to apply technology, when it comes to installing fire sprinkler systems, you still have to pick the pipe up, stick it in the hole and yep. turn it to the right. And no yep. one's going to automate that. Nope. And, so, and so, you know, if you have children at home who don't know what they want to be when they grow up, sprinkler design school send them to me i'll send you back some designers fitters yeah yeah fitters. technicians you know we provide all that kind of training second third generation sprinkler contractors you know there's opportunities now that didn't exist before for fire protection engineering degrees oklahoma state you yep. know Eastern kentucky maryland uh, worcester you know wpi uh, there's great programs for those of us who brought our kids up in this industry to go out and get a degree and come back and run the company better than we did. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 there's so many opportunities and it's, uh, it's kind of this niche industry that no, not a lot of people know about. And, you know, you go into a building, you look up and <laughs> people I'm with randomly or friends or whatever, they're like, why are you looking up? I'm like, well, you know, and I explained to this a lot of my newer staff at the company. I'm like, you're going to start looking up. You're going to notice where exit signs are. You're going to notice if there's an extinguisher on the floor or the sprinklers are covered by a beam or whatever. So it's, it's, uh, you don't know about it, but, and you don't want to know about it because fire, fire protections, you know, it's, it's, it's special. It, it's special. It's supposed to work. You know, it, it's a pain for building owners because they they don't know what they're getting but at the end of the day it's it's saving lives it's saving that building and it's it's should be bringing down their insurance premium at some point because well, of course of course but it's also code driven yes and, and required i think i think there's a lot of fear of the the unknown i think they think you know it's all hollywood systems right deluge systems right when one sprinter goes off or i'm going to go off they're going to cause water damage they don't understand why it matters most that they have you, you know, I'm fond of saying that when seconds count, first responders are minutes away. Yeah. But that fire sprinkler system is going to work immediately, is going to control and limit that fire and limit the damage, even with water damage. You know, we're cleaning up water, but we're not cleaning up a business now that's now lost, sending people home without a job and worse. So, you know, we were talking about labor and opportunities. One of the things that our industry has always been about, or at least a lot of cases, has been nepotism, right? How did you get into the business? Did you have a parent or an uncle or somebody who got you into the business? I mean, I, I personally have four children and three of them are in fire protection. Wow. A brother in fire protection. He has children in fire protection. I mean, think about how you get into this thing, a neighbor or an uncle or somebody, you know, it's not something you grow up in school knowing about fire sprinklers or our fire and life safety systems in general terms, whether it's alarms or, you know, hood system, whatever it happens to be. We as an industry need to do a much better job of outreach to encourage non-family members to see us as a career. How do we get into elementary schools, high schools, you know, there's a bunch of community colleges out there that do fire protection programs for kids that want to become firefighters, but they're all not going to find jobs in firefighting. Yet we have so many opportunities and our industry needs so many more people. Every yep. contractor I talk to 
when I ask, what's your biggest challenge? And they say, finding good people. Yeah. And, and yep. I think that's one of the things AFSA is focused on. Uh, well, I don't think so. I know so. We're very, very focused on recruiting and, and encouraging and getting out with guidance counselor organizations and making sure they know what our opportunities are. Uh, we're doing more training with uh, facility managers. We're doing more training with a broader group and a better focus just so that we can attract more people to our industry for our members. And I yeah. think it's one of the important things, you know, that we do. Uh, I also think mem I think that fire sprinkler contractors who are not members of one of the trade associations really need to take inventory of their business and their futures. Yeah, I don't understand it. I mean, I think the last one of the stats I got it was only like 30 to 40 percent of the market is in is a member of a trade association. Not even um, that. It's, it's not, not even, even that. It's half that. It's crazy. It's uh, it's there's so much information and I, I, I just don't get it. It's a small line item on their expenses and uh, so much value. It's minuscule. We, we have contractors who tell us that when they've had challenges where they've used our tech support uh, to solve a problem and that paid that alone solved the problem that paid their dues for five years. Right. Just one phone call, one yeah. email saved yeah. them more money than their membership could cost for five years. And, and we have literally, we turn around technical questions in, in, in within 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just the marketing alone, like being a member of a trade association, I'm, if I'm hiring a, a plumber, HVAC pest, if they're not part of the association, I'm, they're not coming to my house. Well, good you know? that's a great thought. I don't know. We'll have to start a billboard campaign that says <laughs> Drew Slocum says. Uh, that's funny. Um, yeah. So podcast, I guess there's a, so you got an upcoming event I hear about. Uh, yeah, we have our annual convention down in, uh, in, in Orlando, Florida, Bonnet Creek, uh, Hilton. That's nice. Uh, well, um, our trade show is the biggest fire sprinkler centric trade show literally in, on the planet. Uh, our booths are sold out and we've got people in booths out in the corridors. Uh, we have no more booths, basically we have a waiting list. We've got more people, members, contractor members uh, uh, reserved this year signing up. And it's a record year for us, but so was last year and the year before. Right. Uh, but we're seeing more and more activity. Of course, we do a free workshop day uh, for AHJs in the area. We do a, a plan review class. We do that every year uh, and that's filling up pretty well. Uh, so yeah, we're pretty excited. Our, our uh, conference, over 60 uh, uh, technical topics for uh, seminars. Uh, we're not broadcasting this year like we have the last two years with uh, Zoom rooms because it's just been difficult. Yep. We've had a lot of people take advantage of that, but it's just been difficult with hotels, not having the bandwidth to support us, you know, and it's very frustrating if it doesn't work seamlessly, but sure. hopefully in future years we'll get that done right when we, when we get the bandwidth to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, we have our apprenticeship competition, seven finalists, and they'll compete uh, for top dog prizes uh, uh, from all the regions. And so that's always a lot of fun. Uh, that's, that, that's fun. Cause you, I, I mean, I just being on the floor a lot and we'll be there again, obviously this year, but uh, um 
it's just it's it's kind of cool to hear the you know the threading of pipe or the grooving of pipe and it them Mellow installing oil. it's so cool it's so cool to hear that while the convention's going on right yeah. um uh it, there's nothing else like it right yeah now we're pretty excited man we're we just everybody here you know it's work but it's fun yeah yeah it is fun i guess they're uh you know obviously there's our podcast here but that there's a fire sprinkler podcast and there's these new guys i'm gonna be on their show in a couple of weeks the dope and tape uh podcast which are a bunch of uh it's like a fitter podcast yeah, yeah. and they just it, it's it's a lot of fun they do it twice a week but they're all we're all they're all getting together down in down in florida to to kind of do some just some combos but it's all you know around the afsa event and um yeah it's kind of really cool to see the the buzz about it yeah, I've heard a lot of positive comments about the dope and tape guys, which, by the way, is a controversial question for <laughs> if you use right. dope and tape. Do you put the dope first or the tape first? <laughs> What's your answer? I, I don't think you should use dope and tape. I think you should pick one. Yeah, of the other. one or the other, right? And <laughs> I, I, I think it's uh, it's kind of fun uh, that they kind of put that out there. But I think the Bobby does use both. I, oh. I could be wrong. So does my Bobby. brother. It's always, <laughs> it's always blown my mind. You know, Teflon tape's not a sealant. It's a lubricant, right? And, yeah. so, you know, there are dopes out there that are, you have to remember when I came into the industry, you mixed your own, you know, you mixed your own dope with linseed oil and uh, and Portland cement. And, and that's why you, when you go to those old systems, you need a damn hammer or 48-inch compound wrench to get, get anything apart. Right. Yeah, it's uh, isn't it somewhere areas of the world they use they use hemp rope or something, don't they? Well, I've seen people cork threads with hemp. I'm not sure that's a legal thing to do. Yeah, we it's probably. I mean, we should not be promoting things that are no, 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 no. <laughs> you got a little off track there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look forward to obviously AFSA in a in a few weeks here, and uh, excited to you know if if you can get down there, great. It's in it's in a great part of the country in Orlando, and um, yeah, it kind of kicks off the the whole fall. That you know, everybody coming out of the summer. It's the kind of the first event. Well, speaking uh, of kicking off, our opening night party is at Universal Studios. It's got a magic uh, theme to it, and we have exclusive access to all this uh, Harry Potter parts. Oh, that's awesome! And so, and that's just the opening party. You know, that's not even our ending party. So that should be a lot of fun, a lot of family activity there. Um, believe it or not, we have a lot of folks who are bringing their kids to Orlando because it's Orlando. But we also have a lot of people who are signed up who are just adding that one night party. I mean, it's a real attraction for oh. members. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that was happening. Oh, that's, um, that's I heard Harry, Harry Potter is like one of the best things in Orlando to see. Yeah. So our opening night party is something you don't want to miss um well cool yeah we'll uh we'll definitely get that out when we uh release this in a in a week or so um kind of last question before we kind of get going what's um you know evolution what i've seen over fire protection over the last 10 years since doing inspect point is you know the industry has been segmented right sprinkler fire alarm and kind of the suppression end kind of three categories and then there's another life safety end which is more on the life safety devices and stuff like that. And over the last 10 years and definitely the five years, a lot of that's coming together, right? So you don't, 
you're not just a sprinkler fitter anymore. You got to know more than just sprinkler, right? And it, it's still slow to be that way. I think it's still segmented. But what what at least I've seen is, you know, if you know everything, you're a, you're a dime, you know, you're a needle in the haystack to find. If you can do alarm, if you if you can do everything, it seems like that's where the companies are kind of molding all these subsectors of fire protection together. Um, so you see that? Do you see that as well? Well, pr prior to coming here, uh, I was a VP of training at Fire and Life Safety America, which is now oh, yeah. Summit. Summit. And so I'm going to cover up this AFSA piece on my <laughs> shirt for a minute and tell you my <laughs> opinion. This is just observational. This is not AFSA. <laughs> But uh, at, AFSA, at FLSA, our training program for fitters, I'm sorry, I apologize. I got to back up. My, our training program for inspectors had nothing to do with being a fitter, okay? Right. We took people that were either retiring from or who had never been a fitter. I don't think twisting pipe and installing and understanding NFPA 13 makes you an inspector. Right. We wanted inspectors who had not been fitters, had not been alarm technicians, had not been uh, hood people or e-light people or fire extinguisher people. We trained them in every one of those disciplines so that they could go to a building and review and look at the fire doors and do the 11 point inspection, the duct detectors and dampers. Testing a fire alarm system is not the same as fixing a fire alarm system, inspecting a fire sprinkler system. I, I personally don't believe that being a fitter qualifies you to be an inspector. I, I, want, I want people, I want a whole new category of inspector. Now here's the challenge. A lot of states have nice set requirements for inspectors. So if I'm doing fire alarm and fire sprinkler inspections, nice set will not give me credit for both for the same time frame, I have to be one or the other for 50% of the year or the other, right? So it's gonna take me longer if I have to have three years of practical experience or five years of practical experience to get a nice set certification, maybe let's say level three and water-based. If I'm doing both, I can't claim both all the time for fire sprinter. I gotta claim part of it for fire alarm if I'm trying to achieve both of those. Right. So there's a bit of a setback when you're cross training, but I do think, honestly, think that ultimately we will see a whole new breed of. So we have designers, we have fitters, we have, uh, we we we're going to have inspection testing and maintenance technicians who maybe have never been a fitter, never been a fire alarm installer. Uh, they know how to test things, they know how to do inspections of things, and they know how to write reports but they don't know how to fix things. Right. And I actually prefer that. Yes. We would have fire alarm technicians go out and find a panel with some troubles. Well, they only have eight hours to do the inspection and they spend the first two of them trying to clear the panel <laughs> do anything. I don't want them to do that. You know, I want them to tell the owner, we can't do the inspection. You've got these trouble signals. Those have to be corrected first. Right. But I will also say, will you see a lot of mergers and acquisitions in this business in the last couple of years, which is a huge trend. It's had a big impact on us as an association. And um, frankly, what sells companies is a recurring revenue services. So 
you know, the, the multiplier on EBITDA valuation of a company is much heavier with recurring revenue than it is with new construction. Yep. New construction might have big numbers, but value comes in the form of recurring revenue streams. And so I think your point of seeing more activity in the ITM world is a result of the value plan or the value uh, of companies and the mergers and acquisitions piece, people may be positioning themselves to be purchased as an exit plan from a business they've been running for the last 25 years. And uh, so I do think that the ITM piece uh, is bulletproof when it comes to economic up and down terms, up and down terms, because you still have to do the ITM, whether the building, whether business is slow or business is fast, whether buildings are even empty. If the building's right. empty, you're still required to inspect and test the system. So it's a solid piece of the business. And I think a lot of people are gravitating more in, into that area, to your point. Yeah. Yeah. We call it recession proof or recession resistant, well, recession proof and pandemic proof, right? Pandemic, we saw a lot of people have to go virtual. Literally, a month, it was, they were off for a month doing inspections and maybe that March timeframe during COVID. Literally a month later, they were back flooded with work, service calls, inspections. And yeah, construction might have been shut down, but inspections, fire life safety was not. And Well, that's uh, because the two associations managed to get our industry uh, determined yes. to have been critical. Or Yeah, that was big. I forgot about that. I forgot you, you got, and then NFPA did something as well, obviously put this, and all the HJs kind of bought in, you know, not bought into it, but like announced that to their to the buildings and hey, we still have to be protecting these buildings even though nobody's here. Absolutely. And not only that, you know, even if you're in a hospital or nursing home, hey, you're protecting people. And, you know, I'm fond of repeating something I've heard many years ago, and that is the three biggest causes of fire will always be men, women, and children. <laughs> not getting them out of the building. And so the systems still need to be functional, still need to be inspected and tested and repaired. So. You know, I mean, this has become a huge part of the business that wasn't necessarily as pervasive, you know, 30 years ago. No, no, it's uh, it's uh, it's been fun for us to the, the ride. So, um, well, we look forward, obviously, the AFSA convention, looked forward to seeing you guys. And um, one more quick question. This is a quick response round. So I have this little round that that. Uh, talk to you about uh, uh, different things, but what is your favorite standard out of all the NFPA standards? Oh my, uh, that's really a difficult thing to say. I, I'm gonna say 25. Okay, all right, same, same here. It's the most complicated one too, in my opinion. <laughs> well, we have a lot of eyes. The reason I say that, and I'll make it really quick, is there's a lot of eyes on new systems, right? We have plan review and inspections and acceptance testing. There's a lot of systems out there where something changes, packaging might change or storage methods might change or uh, tenants might change. And who's looking at all those systems to make sure they're still adequate for the current occupancy or the changes? Sure. I think NFPA 25 is a you know, you don't park a car in your driveway for three years and not pay attention to it for three years and think it's going to run when you go to start it. These are mechanical systems. They need to be inspected and tested periodically and if we expect them to work. Yeah, no, I agree. Cool. Um, 
Well, thanks for having me. Well, yeah, thanks, Bob. This is great. You know, love to love to chat more some other time, uh, maybe at the convention or uh, obviously down the road. I'm sure uh, fire not leaving fire life safety anytime soon. It's a once you're in the business, you usually don't get out. So, well, that's why I'll probably find me dead at my desk. I'm here for a <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Take care. This was episode 50 of the Fire Protection Podcast, powered by InspectPoint. I want to thank Bob Caputo again from the AFSA to join me on today's and the 50th episode, right? A um, lot more to come. Can't wait to do episode 100 here soon. Um, yeah, big AFSA convention coming up. Make sure to check it out. Uh, we'll be in attendance as InspectPoint. And um, yeah, stop by and say hello. Talk to you soon.